Okay, finally, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa al-aqibatu lamutaqeena, wa la'udwana illa al-adhalimeen, wa salawatullahi wa salamuhu, wa la'ashraf al-anbiya'i wa al-mursaleen, Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla illa maja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'la sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika, wa shukrika, wa husna ibadatik, ya Rabbil Kareem, assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. My uh, sincere apologies for the delay. There were some kind of phone problems and uh, connection and God knows what. But anyway, alhamdulillah. To be honest, I don't know what I'm doing here. I thought I was meant to be going to the next box, Boxing Day sales. So I've taken a wrong turn. But uh, on a serious note, uh, we're very, very grateful to uh, North uh, Finchley Masjid, uh, its trustees, uh, Taymur especially, uh, for preparing this uh, so excellently and uh, going to all that effort. Um, and of course, there's so many brothers and sisters that uh, I know here personally. And so I'm so happy to see you all as well. Um, so the plan, inshallah, for tonight is uh, to cover, uh, we're continuing obviously in our class. This is not completely an open circle, uh, although definitely when we do a roadshow, and this is what, what it's called, because this class is broadcast every week. Um, it's based in Manchester. Uh, but when we do take it on the road um, and go and travel to another city, then um, we do kind of open it up a little bit and make sure at least at the second half of the class, uh, we take some more questions, um, not maybe on the subject and discuss some of the certain issues that are relevant to you folks uh, at, uh, of the current time. Uh, but we still make sure that we maintain our continuing uh, journey in this uh, book. Now, Zad al-Mustaqni'ah, okay, is a text, that's what we're covering, it's a text in Hanbali Fiqh, and the commentary, and it was written hundreds of years ago by, an, uh, by a great scholar called Imam al-Hajjawi, and alayhi rahmatullah, and there's been many commentaries that have been written upon it, but one of the most uh, interesting, and certainly the one that gives us a lot of uh, uh, side points to investigate is the commentary that was written by Imam Al Uthameen, Sheikh Muhammad bin Saleh Al Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah. And um, his commentary to this book is called Al Sharh Al Mumtia, the easy, nice, uh, simple uh, commentary. And what we do is that we do a commentary to that. We put it into kind of modern day context and we discuss uh, the matters that are related to the subject at hand. We've already covered the chapter of purification, we're in the, the chapter of the prayer. We're in the description of the prayer and we're in that part where we're talking about permissible matters of the prayer. And specifically, what we're going to cover today are probably two things, maybe three, that are allowed allowed in the uh, Salah. Um, I'm going to read to you the uh, specific part and it starts with وَلَهُ رَدُّ الْمَارِّ بَيْنِ يَدَيْهِ وَعَدُّ الْآيِ وَالْفَتْوَ عَلَىٰ إِمَامِهِ I don't I know we're not gonna get to that, but certainly the first part. If you just bring it down a little bit. The uh, page. That's it. But down, 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 down. <coughs> down, down, down. Okay. It is allowed to prevent someone crossing his prayer zone, to count verses, to correct the Imam, to put on clothes, to wrap his turban, and to kill a snake, scorpion, and louse. So this translation is referring to the Arabic that I just read and these are talking about what's allowed in the prayer actually within the act of prayer itself okay and last week we covered in detail 
وَلَهُ رَدُّ الْمَارِ المار okay, is the one who يعني يَمُرُّ بِكِ يَمُرُّ بِكِ يعني the one who passes by you to, from the verb to pass walks by and the prayer zone is your little prayer area so what we're talking about here is what is allowed what's the concept of your particular zone and what happens to the one who goes through it so we covered that in detail in summary what we're talking about is that when a person is praying they have a particular sacred special zone that's theirs and nobody else has a right to it and despite all the differences of the scholars about how long it lasts or how far it actually is then we can say that the majority settled on about a foot or maybe 10-15 centimeters whatever past your sajda point so when you go to make sajda okay so if you look at for example your current place right here where you look at the line if you are standing in the bath where the feet go all right and you make sajda your sajda is going to be before the blue line starts right or green line starts agreed so where the next line starts that's your prayer zone and so therefore if you were praying in this masjid in this line standing inside now uh, uh, sometimes people might stand on the uh, outside line right the top line but I'm talking about within that line and you were to make sajda you would make sajda unless you're you know one of the world's longest or tallest people ever right you would make sajda before you hit that first line all right and then you've got that foot it's probably perfectly a foot actually after it and so a foot after your sajda this is your, your zone if a person is to come in this middle you have to stop that person. You have to stop that person proactively. It is rewarded. It is sunnah. This is one of the reasons why it is makru to close your eyes whilst praying. You're meant to keep a focus in your area. I was reading something interesting from Sheikh uh, Muhammad Bukhtar al-Shanqizi. And he was asked a question recently um, that, uh, Sheikh, the problem is, I, I get everything about, you know, that it's not good to keep your eyes closed and it's the way of, you know, Buddhists and meditation and this is, of course, Islam and we have our own deen and our own yani, focus, uh, 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 spirituality. But sometimes the carpets that we use are full of designs and you know how it is. We are always making shapes in our minds. You can see all kinds of characters in there and all kinds of, you know, animals and madness. The mind yani, goes mental when we look at these designs. I can see all kinds of stuff already right here, okay? So the truth is, is that when you're looking down, the mind starts to wonder, it starts to disturb you even more, right? And so he said, Sheikh, is it possible for me to close my eyes because I'm getting disturbed by that? And what the Sheikh said, he said that the problem is people immediately going to that, immediately going to eyes closed. And if you keep being that person who goes to eyes closed, you will forever remain weak. You will forever remain weak. And what the real skill that needs to be developed is for you to have your eyes open and be so engrossed in the ayah that you're reciting that you can't see anything anyway. That you are literally so focused in the place. And to be honest, you know, like daydreaming. Yeah, and when you're daydreaming, there's someone right in front of you, right? Okay? And it's almost like you look straight through them. And they're like, you know, they go like that because like, what's going on? And, and, and they can see, they're aware, but they're looking straight through because they're completely engrossed in a thought. And that has to be the practice of the Muslim. Because we can't just so easily just give up on our own religious principles when it comes to trying to achieve spirituality. It's not a religion that does it with the eyes closed. We are not a meditative religion. Actually, our adhkar, our qira'ah, all of it 
in principle is done with the eyes open. The Prophet ﷺ insisted upon that. That was his practice. He hardly ever closed his eyes. In actual fact, when this happened in his own hujra with Aisha radiallahu anha, and he noticed that curtain that was disturbing him, he said to her, remove it, not I'm going to close my eyes. So he, he had it removed and he got uh, uh, torn up and put into a cushion or something like that. Whereas uh, the principle, so the principle is learned. So this issue of being able to uh, have focus, it goes back to the more fundamental point that uh, the ability or the next step for us when it comes to prayer is not to look for the get out clause, but rather to look and see what is it that is deficient in ourselves with respect to our religion. Most of us are sticking to the same surahs every single day, sticking to the last 10 surahs maybe, and just repeating them again and again and again. So I ask you by Allah, how long did you think that was going to last you in your life? How long do you think you can just keep going on the same thing recited a hundred times every week, the same thing? Your mind's going to go bananas, of course it is. It needs any energy, it needs freshness, you need to move out of ritualism and need to be able to connect. And the only way you can connect is that if you add new surahs, if you study what you're saying, if you learn the language, and if you do that, then it won't matter. Now, likewise, for example, children, okay? Now, when you've got the, the sound of babies and this and that, whatever, and it freaks you out, how many times are you going to let that get to you? It'll freak you out once, it'll freak you out twice, you'll kick them out once, you'll kick them out twice, you'll go somewhere else. What happens when you're in someone else's masjid or someone else's house or in someone else's? I want you to know that even though I am not a supporter of young children in the masjid as, from uh, Salah time, I mean, okay, um, still there's no doubt that it is permissible. There's a big difference between recommending and encouraging the act during prayer time and something which is permissible. I believe the ruling uh, on children uh, under the age of five, six, to be something which is permissible to makru. That's my personal position. After the age of six, I insist upon children being brought to the masjid. Nowadays, of course, it's the other way around. You see parents, they bring their little kids, you know, show them up to everybody else, look, stick a little hijab on them, put a little hat, shalwar kameez, make it out, yani, you know, I'm doing such a great job parenting my child. Then you don't see them for the next 10 years. Then they come 10 years later and they say, yeah, my kids ain't got drugs and he's got cigarettes and yeah, you know, can you wave your magic wand and fix them? Yeah, Imam. Yeah. That's unfortunately the, the template of our community in terms of child, child development. In actual fact, it should be the opposite. The child should not be seeing the masjid at all because the masjid is not the right place for the child in terms of its uh, uh, ability to understand a sacred space. It should come and experience it on the big gatherings, big moments, child-friendly events. But the obligatory prayer every day is a very serious matter that should be preserved. Um, and once the child is ready, and after five, six, uh, maybe a late seven, but an early six, definitely, that child should be now be brought to the daily prayers every time. Or well, genuinely, we've got it the other way around. You don't see kids at nine, 10, 12, 13. So again, it's a point of focus. Uh, however, is that haram for children to be in the masjid? Of course not. Many hadith establish their presence. They are noisy. They mess around. And you have to improve your ability to be able to focus. You can't depend. It'd be great if we have parents to take control. It'd be great if the masjid could be able to fix that problem. But you can't depend upon it. The only thing that you can depend is upon what's in your control. And what's in your control is to learn how to block out. Okay? I was asked a question today about uh, the permissibility of praying or eating in places that have got music. And... One of the connected things to this is the, the difference between al-istima'a wa sima'a, okay? To listen and to hear, right? And what's happening to the majority of people who are able to focus on what they're doing is that they end up 
hearing music or sound or whatever. And hearing should never put you off what you're doing. Al-istima'a, yani where you stop, pause and think and follow and know the words to and then you kind of, you know, that is a whole different level. And when you're weak, you let your hearing get taken away. Or if you're addicted to something or you're in the wrong kind of place and you're not able to kind of move away, that's what happens. You start to really actively listen and that's a problem. So a person's skill there comes into play as well about how are they able to block out sound and focus on what they're doing. So again, this, uh, this is an important issue. Uh, why are we speaking about that? Distractions. Distractions with the... Closing the eyes. Close, closing the eyes. So closing the eyes, we can't yani, depend upon that. And to keep the eyes open and see the person who is coming back and forth, you need to see that person and stop them. And you can gently push them around you. We're not here to cause problem. Of course, if you're the fool who's praying in the exit or in the way of people, then it's your fault. Okay, you've got to also be not doing something haram as well. But if you're praying, you know, in a in a in the right place, and especially you have a sutra, you've done the right thing, then really this person is doing a huge sin. And Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that if that person knew the sin of crossing a person in the prayer, then they'd, they'd wait for forty. And we know that this is referring to at least forty years, if they knew the the, the, the magnitude of the sin. And we also uh, concluded that there are no exceptions to this rule. A lot of people believe that the haram is an exception. That Mecca and Medina, because they're so busy, is an exception, and it's not an exception. The rule to prohibit this action was revealed in Mecca itself, and so therefore it is not permissible there, not permissible here, not permissible in the busiest of places. And a lot of people think that this is very unrealistic. It's not. It's not unrealistic at all. person knows what they're doing, then they'll be fine. So this is the first thing of the matters which are permissible. The second thing is what we're going to start with today. Wa'adul ay. Ay, okay, is a very rare plural for ayah the more common plural is ayat okay so ayah ayat ay is a very specific very rarely used plural and wa'adul ayat which is the same thing to count the verses is the next thing that our author suggests is something which is permissible now when you think about this like when you here at first time, you're thinking, what do you mean count verses? Why would you be counting verses in the prayer? You go into the prayer, you read your surah, off you go. Don't you think? Where, where, where do you think this scenario may come in? Yes, always. A person was counting the first 10 ayat of the uh, surah or the last 10, or he wants to get certain ayat in. Very good. Maybe a person is not actually aware of... He hasn't mem- maybe memorized Quran to that level where he knows the beginning and the end of something. Or maybe he doesn't understand the meaning of the Quran to have a natural idea of when a narrative is starting or ending or a story is starting or ending. And so they're literally reciting in their prayer by numbers. So, uh, for example, the first 10 verses of Surah Kaf, for example. Maybe he doesn't know where it ends. But he's literally yani, visualizing it going forward. So this person, whilst he's reciting uh, the, the, the verses, he's in his mind saying one and then two and then three. And it's not working. And so what we are allowing for this person is them to be doing this on their hand. So in the Salah, we're brought up to believe that there's not a single movement allowed whatsoever at any time. And that's correct. Yani, in principle. That the prayer is a respected position. You stand in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And anyone who's fidgeting, then they're coming across as bored. They're basically indicating there's something far more interesting in your mind at the moment than standing in front of Allah. So it's very disrespectful. And 
um, that the scholars kind of, to help people to not be disrespectful in prayer, told them different things. You know, when you were growing up, you were told that you're not allowed to move at all, or if you have to move, you're only allowed three movements, or if you're going to itch, then you're only allowed to itch three times. And you know, all of these, by the way, don't have any hadith or don't have any kind of uh, a calibration from the Sunnah, but rather they're kind of to, to help the um, public masses have some kind of, you know, some kind of measurement to measure themselves by. The truth is though, what is the actual principle? There's a large number of movements possible in the prayer if there is a need for it. So if there's a need, we can justify quite a few things. So we've already in the first permissible thing in the prayer justified that. Now that's quite a significant movement if you think about it, right? If you're praying like this, someone just goes like that. That's Danny, you know, that's that's quite a, a violent, aggressive, physical move. Right now, uh, but it's in, there's a need. There's a hadith to indicate that you know you should try to prevent that person coming across and to fight with them and meaning to struggle with them because they are shaitan. So there is actually a reason for that. Now, here the next movement that we're doing is like this. All right, and this is whilst, whilst, whilst your hand is here, I'm just going to lift it up. I don't pray like this, but I'm just doing it for the camera. Okay, so uh, if your hand is like that. Maybe you might have done Yanni about 25 years ago, but don't hate. Okay. So, no, no, no. In fact, you know what? Proudly, not even 25 years ago did I do that. Okay, I haven't done that, right? So, um, <laughs> you know when we used to come into the and see those boys doing that? We used to say, why do you just go a little bit higher? And just <laughs> but then we used to have beef for those people, you know what I mean? It's allowed to say that. That was hate going on, you know what I mean? So, if, you're, if your hand is there, and let me just do it like this, and then I'll do my best like right? So, anyway, then you did this. Now, you know that as you've been brought up in learning how to pray, you've been told you can put your right on your left, or your arm on your uh, other arm, or you clasp. And if you're Hanafi, you're told that in a very specific way, encircle the wrist and three fingers across. Now, we're saying that the scholars, if there's a need, the Hanbalis, and by the way, the other madahib are generally lenient in this as well, because they see the need, right? And you're going to see, it's interesting. That is beyond just 10 verses of Tutil Kaf, for example. So this would be the movement that would be allowed. Bit or bit. Or other variations. So for example, if you were, uh, you had something that was on your wrist. You know, like the Tasbih kind of like 10 count. And you're moving one. Or something like this. Then this could be allowed. Now the truth is, is that majority of people are not going to uh, use this. However, however... What I was thinking about subhanAllah was sad is that most people don't think of the application of this because most people are not people of the hajjid, right? You know, uh, one of the great things about the winter period, right? I mean, everybody's read and heard, you know, the statements that this is the time of the salaf, the companions used to get excited, this is the time of ibadah. But on a serious point, especially for us in this country, non-Muslim country, lots of yani fitna to really take us away from ibadah, really a, a big struggle for us to practice our deen. And then a really hard, hard summer. Silly hours, 11 o'clock at night time for Isha, 3 o'clock in the morning Fajr, really messes a person about, has, you know, very few people be fasting, the Mondays and Thursdays and so on and so forth. But it's hard work. And people need to sleep and people are probably not going to go to the Jama'ah as much, to the Masjid, etc, etc. So people have a hard time and the Ibadah level goes down. And that's okay. Because it is tough. As long as then you up your game when it becomes super easy. 
And so it's not just yani, a theory that, oh, you know what it is, the days are shorter, in winter is great. The days are shorter, in winter let me smack out all of those sunnah fasts that I didn't. Every Monday and Thursday has got to be a, a given. The three fasts in the middle of the month got to be a given. And in terms of night prayers, if you, uh, in terms of the, the congregation, this is the best time to get into the habit of praying Fajr in the masjid. Yani praying Isha is a norm. Praying Isha is something which is very easy. Alright? This masjid, mashallah, great Imam, great rendition, mashallah, of Surah Qamar in the, 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 the Salah. Really enjoyed it. You'd want to come anyway. It's a nice end to the day, right? And you're awake, piece of cake. I don't, you know, I'm not going to give you a Blue Peter badge if you attend the Isha prayer. It's a piece of cake here. Now, I'll give you respect if you come for Fajr. I'll give anyone respect if you come to the masjid for Fajr. It doesn't matter whether it's winter time or summertime or any time because it doesn't matter whether it's warm outside and you know how much easier it is to go out when it's warm and when it's freezing cold you do that once and then you think oh I can't do that again right the truth is is that whatever the conditions are outside the real challenge for getting up a fajr is the coming out of your bedroom and not yani praying in your bedroom that's the the big fitna so whatever time you go uh, uh, of the year or what the conditions are fajr is always an achievement now if you're struggling to pray that in the masjid and remember that it is a proof, a proof to Allah that you do not have nifaq. The people who miss Fajr and Isha, these are signs of the munafiqeen. And nifaq, of course, is more serious than kufr because it's hidden and it's found inside the believers. Okay? And that's a real fear and it should be knowing that a real proof of your iman is when you do go out there and prove it. Not to other people, but to yourself. But to yourself. That I won't be let down. And also... The small matter that the Prophet Sallallahu said that the one who prays the Fajr Jama'ah is like gets rewards, not just for that prayer, but like you prayed the whole night. The Qiyamul Layl of the whole night. So in the winter time, it is so important to develop the habit. And if you develop a habit, I guarantee you, you'll enjoy it so much, Fajr and Isha in the Masjid, it becomes like your, 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 your energy, right? And therefore, after that, you'll find you'll carry on into spring and then you'll be ready for the summer where... Openly and admittedly, it really is difficult. But if you train yourself in the easy times, you'll be ready for the difficult times. But I wanted to go further as well. The uh, winter time is when Tahajjud and Qiyamul Layl should come into play. Especially in this country. And why do I say that? Like I noticed downstairs uh, on the prayer timetable that uh, your uh, Fajr this morning kicks in at 6.22 and your Jama'ah is 6.45. Now you'd be thinking... Give us yani, a break, at least yani, give, it, give it to us at 8 o'clock or something. Yeah? yeah, with the sun uh, rise at quarter past 8 or whatever, or 5 past 8, at least put us late. Now, in my masjid, in our masjid in Chido, same thing. It's a 6.25, 6.30 start time, but our jama'ah is at 7 o'clock. And the reason for that is because actually if it was any later, then the people go to work would be stuck, people go to school would be stuck, etc., etc. So, ironically... Ironically, in the winter time, the Fajr start time is actually too late, quote unquote, which is the perfect excuse for a person to wake up half an hour earlier and you're in prime time, Qiyam or late time. So a person wakes up at 6 o'clock or 5 to 6, not a mega difference between that and 6.30, okay? And you knock out 10, 15, 20 minutes of the Hajjud. What a huge amount of reward, what a great opportunity. Now, again, again, why am I emphasizing this? Because you're staying awake afterwards. Now, if you're in the summer, because you might say, well, that's the same argument for summer. Well, no, it's not. If Fajr starts at 3 o'clock, and I'm saying to you, wake up at 2.30, uh, I don't think so. You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Especially as you're going to go back to sleep afterwards. 
So it's not the same. So the half an hour that you add in the winter time is actually to your benefit. You're going to be fresh. You're going to be having to get up anyway, go to sleep earlier because there's no reason to stay awake. Darkness is there as it is. It helps you out. So in actual fact, you know, we complain a lot about the change of seasons, but they are very, very useful to develop habits. Very, very useful. Now, why am I speaking about the Hajjid? Because this chapter of counting the, uh, the, the ayat comes into play into Hajjid. Because the Nabi Sallallahu said that whoever stands the night and recites 10 verses from the Book of Allah, and that's anywhere from the Book of Allah, لم يكتب من الغافلين This person will, in the end, will not be written from الغافلين. The غافلين, uh, we know translates as heedless, but in the Quran it means more than that. Whenever Allah is criticizing people for being unfocused, for being misguided, for being any in love with dunya, always they are called, they are in a set of ghafla, or they're the ghafilin. So a person yani, who is not written from the ghafilin indicates that they are holding on to the iman, they're strong. That's just 10 verses. And this, this is where you need to count them. The same hadith the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever stands and recites 100 verses from the book of Allah, then they will be written from... Anybody? Anyone remember, anyone remember the hadith? No, I completely forgot about the on, online folks. Who? How many? Sorry, uh, uh, what are the, what's the, 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 the title for those who get 100? No. No. Whoever recites 100 verses from the book of Allah will be written from Al-Qanitin. The Qanitin means those who are devout, obedient, worshippers, proper, proper, legit people. Asalman people, as we say. All right? So that's a hundred verses. Now a hundred verses, I don't care what surahs you know, how much of a hafiz you are, a hundred verses, unless you're Zakir Naik, you know, he's the only guy on the planet who actually knows the numbers of every verse and can do the, the sums in his mind while he's speaking. All other humans, Yani, are not that level. We are simple people, we need to yani, do the hand behavior or some beads or something like that. So we will be counting on our hands a hundred verses. Because a hundred verses is not from a specific surah, it's not from a specific area or whatever. Is that the end of the hadith? A thousand. A thousand. The Prophet said, and whoever stands the night bi alf ayah, okay, and stands the night with a thousand verses, they will be muqantirin. Very good. They will be the people of the qintar. The people of qintar muqantirin yani means they will be the people of huge reward. The qintar, we know that uh, the Prophet ﷺ said that whoever prays on the janazah prayer, they get a qintar of reward. Whoever then uh, follows the janazah, meaning they, they uh, bury the person as well, they'll get the second. Yeah? And the Prophet ﷺ was asked, what is a qintar? And he said, it is the size of Uhud. And Uhud is huge. Like, it's like about, I don't know, 20, 30 square kilometers in size. Imagine that physically as a, as a mass of ajr. That's a qintar. The muqantirin basically means that there are people who have like plenty of qintars. Like loads flowing all over the place. And that's a thousand ayat. Now, you're thinking thousand ayat, my goodness. And that would be, that would be the case, of course, if you started from Baqarah. Because <laughs> if you started from Baqarah, once you've done Baqarah and and uh, Ali Imran, that's 500 verses. Baqarah and Ali Imran at the like super quick. 
is at least going to take you two hours. At least. Okay? Unless you say, then that's pointless, that's a waste of time. So two hours and only 500 verses. So you double that and you're there for all night and whatever. So if you use your fiqh a little bit, as Ibn Hajar, alayhi rahmatullah, he said, he said that starting from mulk until the end is a thousand verses. Sick. <laughs> Sick. That's one hour straight. And nice and easy. This is why our parents and our culture starts with these surahs. Not just because they help us in our obligatory prayers, but because they're setting us up. I mean, maybe not today, but back in the day, certainly, they were setting us up for, for uh, 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 us to be able to have access to extra ibadah. What would be really good is to check whether Ibn Hajar is right. Which can't be difficult now, isn't it? A little bit up, whatever. The chief's going to do it right now. Good man. Okay. So he says, Ibn Hajar said, I remember this from donkeys years ago. I never thought of checking. Because we trust our scholars, isn't it? Yeah? Not like the chief, Yanni, who's always Yanni, double-guessing them. So, <laughs> get a calculator out. <laughs> so, if you think about that, from mulk to the end, two juzah, not more than an hour, and you know it as well, find it easy. An hour, by the way, is not a lot of recitation. It's not a lot. But anyway, that's a thousand verses, subhanAllah. It's an easy way of, of uh, doing it. So, the... No, no, no. Across the, across the night prayer. Across the night prayer. Uh, and the night prayer is a sunnah to keep to eight raka'ah. Okay. Uh, however, if a person found it... Uh, because, uh, to be honest, um, when you pray eight raka'ah, then it means that you're standing for at least ten minutes, you know, uh, in your two raka'ah prayer. And for some people, that's a bit too long. And so when a person feels tired, that's when we increase the raka'at. That's where 20 raka'at came from, by the way, of taraweeh. The Prophet ﷺ only ever prayed 8 raka'at. But what the difference with the Prophet ﷺ was is that he had extraordinary stamina. Extraordinary. He was able to stand so much. And you know the hadith, his feet used to swell because of the edema that used to gather. And Aisha was like, come on, come on. I mean, you especially, all your sins are forgiven. So, I mean, why are you standing? And you know, obviously, what he said. So, the point is, is that he used to stand a lot. He could do it. He had the power, the ability. Whereas the companions themselves, they used to. Some of them had the ability to. But others, they increased that, that quantity. And certainly, Omar, when he saw the masses, the wider masses from the companions. Okay. Um, I, don't, I don't want to say struggling. But, but saw the benefit of praying a, a shorter you know, uh, uh, length. Because they would pray, in terms of the night prayer, the one thing they wouldn't cut down is the overall time. So there's no concept of praying one hour. I, I know I just said about one hour here, but for them, I'm talking about Ramadan, by the way. Okay? In Ramadan, they expect to pray, pray for four or five hours. Now, if you're praying eight rakah for five hours, that means 40 minutes standing in two units, which is hard. But if you're cutting that down into 20 rakahs, then you make it 20 minutes, well, it becomes easier. And what they were seeing is that the companions could stand for longer and then chill for 5-10 minutes in between rakahs, have a little chat, then stand up again and then pray. So the, the number of rakahs is flexible, right? Um, and th these 100 verses or 1000 verses, whatever you would be doing, would split across these uh, rakahs as you wish. And the point that we're covering is that on the hands or using some kind of device, if you want to count the verses because you want to achieve something specific, it is allowed. 
Don't lose the wider point because I'm going into tangents everywhere. A little bit of movement here for the need is permissible in the prayer. Okay? Um, Sheikh also says, uh, something interesting actually. He says that sometimes the, the counting, it can be needed for something else. Actually for all of us, you will know that in uh, Salatul Janazah for example, or in Salatul Eid, right? Now, if you're the Imam, you need to have some moves because that's tough, honestly. And especially if you're one of these Imams who's trying to keep all the unity you know, between the Pakistan and the Arabs and whatever. So he's told by the, 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 you know, by the trustees, you gotta pray this one like the Hanafis, and you gotta pray this one like the Arabs one. And so he's like, okay, uh, then he remembers the sixes, uh, no, seven and five for the Arabs. And I don't know, is it three and three, I think, according to the Ahnaf, okay? So three and three at the end. And you can get confused, the uh, takbir to ihram as well. So the Imam himself can use his fingers to count the amount of takbirs that he's doing. Also tasbihat as well. Tasbihat, there are some scholars that limited the tasbihat of the Imam. Now what do I mean by that? Subhanallah, subhanallah rabbi al-a'la, subhanallah rabbi al-a'la, you know, etc, etc. This, when you are in sajda, is unrestricted for a person praying alone or if you're behind the imam. But the imam can't be getting carried away and enjoying himself there because he has old people behind him, he has sick people behind him, he has people who just go to work. So he might need to control how much he's making in terms of dhikr as well. So the point is, you are allowed to use your fingers to be able to... Uh, 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 to uh, count where you are. Interesting here, what he says, and he goes, and, and maybe you want to count the uh, raka'at as well, but if you need to count the raka'at, then we've got bigger problems, you know what I mean, yeah? If you're using your fingers to try and count the raka'at. And Sheikh also says that, I don't know how that's going to work when you go into ruku'ah and you open up your fingers, because you need to open up the fingers to, you know, put on your knees. Then you're going to lose your place, then you don't know where you are. You know, he gets involved in that. Anyway, he goes that there's a hajah for this. Whenever there's a need, then it's something which is loud. Now, the, the thing that I want to try and cover today, the big subject, okay, is the next statement. To correct the imam. وَالْفَتْحُ ala imamihi. Now, the imam, the, the sheikh now, he mentions actually quite a specific uh, scenario. But Shuaib asks a question. Can you recite from the mushaf during the qiyam or tahajjud? And I want to say that you know when we're talking about correcting the Imam and the concept of correcting the Imam, I'm going to go quite deep into this. We can't even use the Mus'haf to correct the Imam as a principle. Let alone a person use it uh, as a principle in their Tahajjud prayer or in their Qiyamul Layl. So in principle, we should avoid that. However, if there was a person who was really struggling, and by struggling, I mean they put all the effort in getting up and they've got all the love and desire to do it, but they're for the, you know, for the love of God, they can't increase in their memorization, right? Because they're getting old or whatever it is. Then maybe we can say for this person, yeah, any on a case by case basis, they can read from the Mus'haf. And if they are, they would do it in a way where they would take advantage of the modern day uh, technology and devices, like, you know, th th these kind of. Uh, uh, I don't know what you're going to call it. Stands, okay? These stands are big, solid. They can hold the huge mushafs. You can minimize the turning, for example. You don't have to hold it. You can put it in front of you. You can have yani, a stand which is high. You can have an iPad, for example, where the maximum that you do is just one flick each time. 
you know, you can go to that. But again, you're not solving the problem. You're not solving the problem. So we, we don't like to, you know, give a blanket. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. The last two uh, Jews are 995. The last two Jews? 995. 995. I think you meant with Surah Fatiha, maybe you could get a thousand with that. I don't know. Chief spent all this year, last half an hour, yeah? And he just come out and said 995. And... I don't believe him. <laughs> Chief is like, I don't believe him. Yeah, he's. Is 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 free? Where are you? Where, where, where have you got to, Chief? That's kind of right there, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I think we disturbed him. The scheme. So nine nine five. We're fine to have us a thousand and two. We take that. We take that. I mean, you know, as a rough indication, right? Spam. Anyway, uh, name. Um, by the way, I didn't uh, mention this. Can you walk in between the rows in congregation if necessary? Yeah. And the answer is yes. When we're talking about the personal prayer zone, by the way, we're only talking about that person's uh, uh, prayer zone if they're praying by themselves. When you're praying with an imam, then the imam's prayer zone takes over the entire congregation. You get what I'm saying? So that is then the, uh, the operational one. So yes, you are allowed to walk in between the congregation lines. You might need to go make wudu. You might be looking for a prayer space. You might need to fill a gap, etc., etc. So all of this is allowed. Right. Um, uh, 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 so yeah, so when it comes to Mus'haf, you'll see now in the discussion about Fatah, what we're talking about. So this concept of correcting the Imam, it is called Fatah, uh, which I guess linguistically uh, translates as opening. But it technically in the area of Fiqh, when Fatah is used in Fiqh, it always means only one thing, and that is to correct the Imam. And this uh, concept... It comes from a hadith which has different narrations. It is sahih, insha'Allah, narrated by Imam Abu Dawood. The Prophet ﷺ was praying. In weaker narrations, it mentions that it was the morning prayer and it was Surah Furqan that the Prophet ﷺ was reciting. Okay? And he, yani labis ali, yani labis means uh, that uh, he got mixed up or forgot. Yeah? He, uh, so one ayah he missed out. I just want to emphasize very clearly that it's the weaker hadith that indicate the surah and one ayah missed out, etc., etc. The authentic version just says that the Prophet ﷺ got mixed up. It doesn't say, mention a surah, what the level of the mix-up was, whatever. But the ending is the same. The Prophet ﷺ finishes the prayer and he turns around, he goes, where's Ubay? <laughs> Which is sick, by the way. Okay? He goes, where's Ubay? And that's, of course, referring to Ubay bin Ka'ab, radiallahu anhu who was one of these specific companions that we are told to take the Qur'an from. Meaning he's a specialist, a master. Okay? And so he's basically asking for his point man. The one that he can rely on in this moment. And there are how many companions behind him? Abu Bakr is behind him, by the way. Umar is behind him. Where's Ubay? Think about that. So, Ubay comes. So he says to Ubay, he goes, uh, were you with us? He goes, yes, I was with you. Yeah, and because he didn't see him immediately. He goes, okay, so why didn't you And another narration Why didn't you make Fatah then? Why didn't you? Now in the authentic hadith, that's the end of the hadith In the authentic version There's no back and forth In the not so authentic version um, Ubay says Ya Rasulullah I didn't say anything Because I thought it was abrogated that's of course the difficulty of trying to correct the Prophet 
you don't know whether what he's reciting is actually, you know, the up-to-date version, if you like, right? Because we know that in the lifetime of the Prophet ﷺ, verses are recited, <coughs> verses are removed by Allah, I mean, that's what's the concept of abrogation. Verses are recited and the ruling is removed, but the recitation remains, okay? And then the opposite as well, and then you study this in Ulum Al-Qur'an. And so Ubay is basically saying that, oh no, I noticed that you didn't say that ayah, but I did not get involved because I thought that, you know, you wouldn't make the mistake, and rather I thought that, you know, it's been taken out and I let you carry on. What this therefore indicates that the Prophet ﷺ did want help in that scenario. Did want someone to back him up. Was the Prophet ever corrected in, in his prayer then, in terms of his citation? I don't think there's ever a narration, as far as I know, authentic, which shows someone actively correcting the Prophet ﷺ. We have a number, I say a number, a few, a few hadith which show the Prophet ﷺ mixing up in the prayer. Okay? But uh, the, the famous one is in Bukhari, where he ﷺ prayed dhuhr five rakah instead of four. Okay? And that was when he finished the prayer. And when he finished the prayer, he, you know, you can see that he's uneasy, but he doesn't say anything. And then one of the companions goes, Ya Rasulullah, is this like uh, uh, wahi? Yani, uh, is this like something new in the, the deen? Like it's gone from four to five or whatever? And the Prophet, and the Prophet he was quiet. Actually, this answer stressed him out because then it's almost like, you know, proof that something did go wrong. And then he goes to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq now. This is, you see, here's the interesting thing. That now he looks at Abu Bakr al-Siddiq. And actually what's interesting is that he says to Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, he goes, is, is what your friend saying, is it true? Yeah? Which is nice as well. However, I think that when it comes to, when it comes to authority, when it comes to making a decision, this is Aya, by the way, okay? And Aya, she doesn't care about anybody, anything. She does what she wants. She does what she wants. Her name is Aya, and she does what she wants. Okay? That's all right. She can go up and down, back and forth, because she can chill. Um, the Prophet ﷺ here is not necessarily checking the hips. And you, by the way, you hear quite a bit from scholars and maybe in study, whatever, that. The Abu Bakr al-Siddiq was not a hafiz of Qur'an. I actually believe that. I think the evidence suggests that. That he is not uh, uh, from the Hufad. Uh, uh, having memorized the Qur'an. In terms of the knowledge of the Qur'an, number one. In terms of the uh, one that you'd want to lead, number one. Because again, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Let the one who leads you be the Aqra. Which means the most versed. Which means... Not the one who's hafiz, but the one who understands the Qur'an. When you say most versed, if I say to you the most versed, generally, you'd accept that to mean the most knowledgeable. And knowledgeable, of course, needs to include quality of recitation, niceness of recitation, no doubt. And got to be more than just قُلْ هُلَوَا هَدَّ He knows. Yeah? But it's also indicating knowledge and indicating some depth, etc., etc. And so Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, of course, is right up there. And so for authority and the final statement on the matter, he asked for Abu Bakr al-Siddiq, is that situation yani, true? And Abu Bakr al-Siddiq said, yes, true. It's right what he said. You did pray five. And the Prophet sallallahu then, he did sajda sahu. And so, and then we have another uh, narration. <coughs> What's that other narration? He prayed, he prayed less. 
prayed less as well, but there's another scenario. Yeah, you know, um, it was a hadith that I had not come across, okay? And I thought, subhanAllah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. Let me uh, uh, find it. It said, where is it? One second. No. I want to read out the text to you of this hadith. It's a killer. Oh, no, no, it, it is that one. One second. It says, uh, Um, no, it isn't that, is it? Oh, it is that, yeah. So, Ewa. This is narrated by Imam Ahmed, okay? Narrated by Imam Ahmed himself. And that one of the companions prayed with the Prophet the morning prayer, and the Prophet recited Surah Al Rum. Yani he got a bit kind of mixed up and he had to repeat that ayah again and again. Okay. Yani I was reciting and yani the situation the Quran yani kind of itself created a scenario with me where I couldn't, you know. And why? Because there's some people amongst you who have just prayed with us who are not doing their wudu properly. Who are not doing their wudu properly. And in another riwayah, wudu. There are some who are praying without wudu. So some without wudu and others who are not doing wudu properly. So whoever prays with us, then let him perfect his wudu. This hadith was considered to be uh, Hassan by Sheikh Albani. Narrated by Al Haythami in Majmal Al Zawaid, and he said that its uh, narrators are uh, the same narrators of the Sahih, meaning Bukhari and Muslim. Now, what's interesting here is that we now have a metaphysical reason, because the normal reasons are standard. You don't revise your Quran enough, yeah? Uh, just to talk about why an Imam would make a mistake. Imams make a mistake if they don't revise the Quran enough. If they're too obsessed with the dunya because the heart which is too much with the dunya is not going to have enough time to focus on the Quran. If the uh, ayat or the surah that you're reciting is difficult because it has a lot of tashabuh, okay, meaning you know that you have certain verses in the Quran which, you know, for example, الصالحات, is not always, you know, ending the same way. It can take you from there to there to there to there. So you need to know the different places, okay? So for example, uh, uh, and we'll come to that later. So that's another reason. Another reason has been given to us here. Shaitan is always on our case, always whispering. So we know that the Prophet ﷺ said that when the shaitan comes and mixes you up in what you recite, then, over to your left hand shoulder, three times dry spit and make ta'awud. In the salah, another movement, right? But there's a need for it. So we can see that there's sometimes you can do that as well. So, uh, shaitan and his attempts, your uh, poor attempts at memorizing whatever, and now another one 
the people themselves. So the people themselves can be a problem. Now we understand that a lot today. Because people's phones, man, they're killing us. Right? And it's so, so difficult if you're an imam and the, 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 the thing goes off. Now, yeah, you can argue that, hold on, it was you who said imam's going to be focused and he's got to be able to, you know, drown out sound and, and, and lead the prayer. And that's true. But I'm telling you, especially if it's a song and a B and an X and a Y, come on. You know, a kid's sound is like background sound. But when you got, and now it's not like, you know, the old good old days, Nokia, Miskeen. Now it's like, you know, full stereo, both speakers, Yanni Harmon, Carden, blah, 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 partnership, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing's a hi-fi system, Lala. Yes. So, uh, so these are reasons. But also, so the people need to take this seriously. If you find they, your imam having some problems, and you know, immediately think, yeah, the imam's rubbish, this imam. In it. Immediately blame the imam, miskin. But Chara, he's the one who's going to get blamed. Uh, people thinking, you know what, maybe we are aslat, not doing our wudu properly, or people yeah, bringing bad vibes to the masjid. You know what I'm saying? People who are not really committed to the game here. All right? So, that's something which I think is uh, 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 important to remember. Now, I wanted to mention a few things about the opening uh, or, or correcting the prayer. First of all, none of the scholars, or I'd say the madahib, said it's a recommended act. This is a mistake that people make. You know, people see this as an opportunity to become a hero. So there's someone yani, there in the row, literally they're waiting for the Imam to make a mistake so they can show to everybody just how mashallah much of the Quran they memorized. Alright? And as I said, these heroes, we don't need them. Masha doesn't need them. Ummah doesn't need them. But they need themselves. So what they can do is they can stay at home and keep correcting themselves. Okay? But they cannot yani, mess up our situation. This is a a very serious scenario and you will see unfortunately everyone's seen this person everyone has met that person heard that person prayed in a gathering with that person who the Imam hasn't even yani, you know he's not even catching his breath and someone dives in yani, hero with the next verse and this is a real problem in actual fact the scholars made it haram for a person to get involved like that unless there is a number of scenarios Okay, so I want to discuss this a little bit. I want you to imagine that first of all, it is sunnah, sunnah, for the imam to recite slowly. It is sunnah to recite an ayah by ayah approach to the Quran, to a surah. Okay, it's actually sunnah to do that. So it's permissible to say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin Iyaka Na'abudu Wa Iyaka Nasta'inu Hadina Surat Al-Mustaqim That's permissible. However, it is sunnah. Anas said that when we heard the Prophet ﷺ recite, he would say, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. So he would stop at each ayah. So it's sunnah to slow down. It's sunnah to be bit part. It's sunnah to be nice in terms of sound. So that slows it down as well. It's sunnah to be reflecting during your reciting and thinking. It's sunnah for the imam to pause at certain ayat that are talking about punishment and seek refuge. And to pause at those verses that are mentioning Jannah and ask for it. So it's a living experience. You get what I'm saying? The prayer itself is not whatever. So if this is all sunnah, we expect an imam to pause here and there. Also, we know that it was sometimes the action, this is not to say it's sunnah, but it was the action of the Prophet ﷺ to repeat an ayah that he liked or that was affecting him. 
So, he would, so sometimes you see that. Now, let's come to today. If you are like, as soon as there's a pause, the Imam's forgotten. Then of course you're going to then want to then get in correct. If you're like, well if the Imam recites a verse twice, that's an obvious sign that he doesn't know what's next. Which is true by the way, because as an Imam, if I've forgotten what, what the next verse is, the biggest clue is I will repeat constantly that verse. Okay? And that's an indication for someone, listen, I've blatantly forgotten the next verse, jump in and help me what's going on. Yeah? But at this time now, this first time someone repeats the verse, people are jumping in. This is disgraceful behavior. This is genuinely disgraceful behavior. Okay? So, I, I want you to understand, that's why the scholars like the Hanafi school, they used to consider actually across the board, as a madhab, across the board, the fath to be something makroh. Just because it's just too much out of control. It's going to allow people just to get out of control. People are going to yani, create, you know, people getting in. It's best that we avoid all of that. And if the Imam gets stuck, what's the problem? Just go Allah Akbar. That's it. Which, by the way, I love this approach. If it wasn't for this hadith in Abu Dawood, I would promote and teach this like, yani, there's no tomorrow. They said that either jump to another surah, and that's why, you know, what else is Qul Allah had revealed for? Yeah? It's the emergency. Get out, yani, for everybody at every moment. You get stuck in anything, Qul Allah had Allahu Akbar, greatest surah ever. Right? So either jump to that or go Allahu Akbar. We, I, I, many times, I, 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 you know, I've said already, and obviously you, must, you need to learn this, that a surah in the, Quran, in, the, in the prayer is a recommended thing. It's not obligatory. It's not obligatory. So why are you jumping in? Okay? Which therefore indicates that there are only a few obligatory moments where you have to correct the imam. Let's talk about that. Number one is if it, the mistake happens in Surah Fatiha. If the mistake happens in Surah Fatiha, which is a rukan of the prayer and got to be said properly, then you have to jump in. And by the way, jump in like what? Jump in to what level? Yani because the, the, you know, he didn't sound like Yani Shur'aim yani when he's reciting? Just because yani, he's an old pack uncle, Yani Brillo, who's just, you know, all a zalim Yani behavior? Yani most packs are reciting like that. So you can't just be, you know, cutting someone up or correcting them just because he's a pack. Yeah? Or just because you don't like the quality of his recitation. So it's got to be a material mistake. A proper swapping of the letter and a changing of the meaning. It's got to be something significant. But that only refers to the Fatiha. Only applies to the Fatiha. For the rest of the surahs, we have different rules. Yes, always. With, with all this discussion, surely a person has got to understand the different recitations of the Quran. Oh, absolutely. So, therefore, as we're going to come to, there are conditions for the person who can correct the prayer. Can't just be anybody. Can't be just, you know, someone who is not aware that this recitation could be potentially a different one. I'm going to read a hadith. This hadith, honestly, unbelievable. This narration, mind-blowing. The Prophet said, Honestly, man, this is crazy. Yes. You mean, I, I, you're basically saying that if you're praying in a prayer behind the Imam, and you hear them recite Surah Fatiha, do you need to recite it as well? Okay. So I've, heard, I've heard that. Yeah, no, there's many different opinions. Yes, there, there are many different opinions, and each madhab has their own position. 
In my opinion, if you do not hear Surah Al-Fatiha, i.e. Dhuhr and Asr, you need to recite Surah Al-Fatiha. If you hear the Imam recite Surah Al-Fatiha because they're leading, then you following them is sufficient. You do not need to recite because you're following, hearing and involved in the recitation. This is my position. This is the position of the Hanbali school and the position of Ibn Taymiyyah. You say following, you're just listening. 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 That's yes, that's it. That's enough. What I'm doing are the actions. Correct. So basically, so that in the obligatory prayer, that is Fajr, Maghrib, Isha only, and that's only for the Fatiha itself. Everything else, of course, and the Surah, obviously, you're going to be listening to, but everything else, of course, you have to do. Yes, so you're following, but because he's speaking aloud, yes. I'm just remaining silent. Yes, yes. Only the Shafi'i school said, even in this situation, you need to recite the Fatiha after he's finished. So whilst he's now reciting his surah, and everybody's listening, then you recite yourself. But the majority of scholars did not accept that. Oh, yeah. This hadith narrated by Imam Ahmed. On the authority of Ubay bin Ka'ab, listen to this, this is next level. He said, the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Ya Ubay ibn Ka'ab, O Ubay, Inni uqri'tu al-Qur'an, faqila li ala harfin aw harfain, faqala al-Malik, alladhi ma'i, qul ala harfain, faqult ala harfain, faqal ala harfain aw thalatha. That's just the Arabic to get you yani, going. Ubay bin Ka'ab said, that the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Hey, Ubay, come here. The Quran was recited to me by Jibreel. Okay? Oh, that's just saying brackets. By Jibreel. And whilst it was recited to me, an angel, and in other weaker narrations, that's meant to be Mikail, okay? He said, whilst the Quran was being recited to me by Jibreel, in one harf or in two harfs? Now, harf. We know harf means letter, but in the science of the Quran, harf means, what's the best translation for harf? No. Style. Yeah, good. Style. Okay, style. In one style or in two styles? Jibreel said to the Prophet and whispered to him, say two. So he says to Mikael, two styles. The angel then says back to him, in two styles or in three styles? Jibril goes, say three. So he goes, three styles. So he goes, in three styles or in four styles? So he goes, say four. So he goes, four styles. And this carried on until <coughs> six styles or seven styles. And he said, seven Styles. حَتَّى بَلَغَ سَبَعَةَ أَحْرُفٍ لَيْسَ مِنْهَا إِلَّا شَافٍ كَافٍ يعني Until it reached seven and that was when the angel stopped. And the Prophet ﷺ said that it got to seven. None of them are recitations or styles except that every single one is شَافٍ كَافٍ It is complete in its power, its ability to cure and give everything that's needed. In every single manner. It will suffice you in every single way. I'm going to come to the end in a second. I just need to take a pause because obviously those who are students of Quran will know that the harf argument is a very detailed, controversial one. And many of you are being exposed to that for the first time. 
You know that the Quran is narrated in different riwayat and qiraat. So we recite Hafs and Asim. Asim is the qira'a and Hafs is the riwayah. So when we say, for example, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. This is the Maliki Yawmiddin and this what I've just said is how the Quran is recited according to Hafs and Asim. But for example, in the Riwaya of Warsh and Nafi' Nafi' is the Qira'a, Warsh is the Riwaya which is uh, what your Imam here would also recite and in Maidavale and in uh, thing was, uh, um, Al-Manar they reciting non-stop in Warsh it's Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawmiddin not Maliki Maliki Yawmiddin because that's how it is in that Riwaya so we all know about that and that there are seven absolutely agreed upon, ten which are authentic, four which are odd, and you'll start learning this when you st- study the Qira'at. But the vast majority of scholars are saying that the seven Ahruf, or the seven styles, do not refer to the Qira'at and Riwayat. Once you know that, then you, you should know, you know what, I'm just going to stop right there because that's way too confusing for me. And that's, that's, that's the best place for you to be. All right? But there are seven styles to the recitation. And they could be referring to the different accents and different versions of the way that the uh, the Quraysh and the dialects, and it could be something linked to that. But the bigger point behind it, why is the angel offering it, and why is Jibreel telling him to take it, is to make it easier upon the people who recite. I'll give you a, a really good example. Even though, again, I'm not saying this is to do with harf, or to do with riwayah, or to do with qira'ah. <coughs> All of our lives when we were students of knowledge, still students of knowledge, but I mean when we were young students of knowledge, okay, we were taught, you know, uh, packs, we all say, well, as zalim, yeah? Mm. Right? Because that's just, you know, the way our tongue is bought. In Urdu, they don't have a va sound, it's like a va sound, yeah, or zwa kind of sound, whatever it is, yeah? And so when you start practicing, the first thing is to get rid of that and go to va. And you learn it and you learn it and learn it until you've got a good va, yeah? And then, of course, once you've learned that and you're teaching everybody else, you're always telling everybody it's da, da, da. And if you're stopping on it, then it's wal ar, wal ar. Yeah? And you're teaching them tajweed about this exact sound. And you're thinking that this is the only sound and there's not a single other version of this in the world. And yani, I know and the scholars know and that's it. And I remember going to Medina when I was studying there in the masjid with one of the Qurra, Sheikh Ubaidullah Afghani, and... He was sitting there hearing the recitations and every single person who would say he would go and I, by the way that's not the sound because I can't do the sound but it was somewhere in between and it was like a, whatever the sound is and you'd see all the people arguing with him he goes where's your delete? where's your isnad because here's my isnad. You just, you just, and Sheikh Ubaidullah, of course, was the teacher of Sheikh uh, Al Hudayfi. He's one of the major professors at the Jamia. Fully qualified, by the way, no joke, right? Um, and I, what I what I want to what I want to indicate to you is that when you start getting into the science of riwayat and qiraat and the different strengths of the riwayat, you will learn things that you didn't know before, blow your mind. So what I'm trying to say to you is that if I then say to you that ask for more recitations, for more harf, 
No, get three, get four. The intention is so that the people find it easier to recite the Quran and we're not on everybody's head every time they recite. And that's why Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said that whoever recites a harf from the Book of Allah, then they will have Ashr bi Amthaliha, right? The reward. And each one person who recites, you know, they're struggling, they get double the reward of the guy who's smashing it. So everything to do with the recitation of the Quran has been made easy to encourage people to recite and not worry about mistakes. Look at the next line in this hadith. Honestly, mind-blowing. in So therefore, if you say, غَفُورٌ رَحِيمًا or غَفُورًا رَحِيمًا or you say سَمِيعًا عَلِيمًا or عَلِيمًا سَمِيعًا فَاللَّهُ كَذَلِكَ مَا لَمْ تَخْتِمْ آيَةَ عَذَابٍ بِرَحْمَةٍ or آيَةَ رَحْمَةٍ بِعَذَابٍ Hadith narrated uh, uh, to be considered to be authentic by Shaykh Lalbani. That doesn't mean the hadith is straight out authentic. There is some discussion but inshallah it's authentic. This ending is mental. It says, and therefore if you say that Allah is Ghafoor al-Rahima or Sami'an Alima, and you mixed it up and you said Aliman Sami'a, then hey, you know what? Allah is both of them anyway. Okay? But don't you dare end an ayah which is meant to say Huwa al-Ghafoor al-Rahim, yani ayah of adab, and then turn it for an ayah of Rahma. Yani completely change the meaning. When the ayah is all about punishment at the end, you say that you know he is forgiving and merciful when it is about so you completely swap it around. So what you're indicate what's being indicated to us is that even when it comes to correcting a person, we don't get involved unless it's a serious mistake. When they change the meaning entirely, meaning there's some space there for a person if he mixes things up, we allow them some space. We don't need to come on to them. First of all, what you've learned is that you give that person some time. Always you must give that person time and allow. Uh, our Imam in the second rak'ah, he mixed up, uh, uh, what's the surah? No. Hadith? Uh, hadith, I think. Okay, so what he didn't say is, He said, rahmatihi, and then he said something which he knew, I can't remember what he said, but it was definitely wrong. And we all, I heard it was wrong. And I waited. And I knew. I knew. Because he paused that he knew it was wrong because it doesn't feel right. You know, obviously when you recite Quran, you say something and it just doesn't fit. That just doesn't fit. And so he paused. And then he went back again. And you didn't even notice actually the mistake. And so it was nicely said proper. Now... The truth is, is that the pause was actually quite a few seconds. It was like two or three seconds. Allah said, allow for me to jump in. Give the guy a chance to work it out himself. Let them يعني, get a time to understand, go back and whatever. And this in Sharia, by the way, or in fiqh is called يعني, Actually, linguistically translated, it means when they want to, that they're seeking food. They want food. Translated literally. Okay? They want an Uber Eats. Okay? So... It will become clear. The fuqaha said that when a person wants Uber Eats, he'll make it very clear. Normally by repeating the same verse again and again and again. Or a huge gap. Or a huge gap. So it's only when it becomes very clear do you then get involved. 
only when they are asking for help. The only other time that you get involved when they haven't asked for help is if they change the meaning hardcore. And if they change the meaning hardcore, then of course it's something which you know you do then have to correct. And correction, by the way, how does it happen? Not you when you're three lines away, four lines away. The correction, see, I'm uh, uh, numb to ayah. Okay? My whole life is yani, dealing with ayah. Ayah, where's Hiba? Ayah, where's Hiba? Over there. <laughs> so, has to be said quietly. Has to be said, yani, if you're certain of it, you are aware of the different versions and whatever. Has to be, yani, upon knowledge. I can tell you, must be about 15, 17. How long is this lesson we've going on for? Surely it's going to be ending soon. Rah, that's Mulan, man. Doctor, 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 going to have, have complete heart attack. Yeah, London special, but we can't kill everybody. So, uh, uh, what was I saying? Conditions. Yeah, the conditions. You're meant to, you're meant to be, you're meant to be, uh, uh, you're meant to be aware of what's going on. I remember that I was praying. I'm sure it was Egypt, and I was praying behind someone. Who and I can't remember the ayah, and I wish because it would make this story hilarious, but I can't remember the ayah. Okay, but I know that he stopped and he got stuck, right? And he started again and he got stopped. He stopped and he got stuck at the same part, and I knew it. And I'm far back, about four or five rows back, big busy masjid. So I said, there's this is Egypt, Arabs, it landed with loads of people, yani, whatever. Complete silence. Nobody knows what's going on. I think what's happening with the people in front. Deal with it. Okay? Does it again get stuck? He's waiting now. He's waiting. And five seconds, ten seconds of silence. That's a huge amount of time. No one says anything. No one says anything. So I said, all right. Man's got to step up in it. <laughs> so I recited the few uh, words before, okay, because you don't want to just give the thingy. You need to make it a complete sentence. So I started a few verses before, and I went a few words in, okay, and enough for me to make the the judgment call that he's got it. So I paused, and great, he started from where I started. He got in. He was away. And it was a buzz, great prayer, blah, blah, blah. Smashes out the full page. That was the second raka'ah, by the way. <laughs> salam, salam. He turns around and uh, he's just looking there, all kind of happy. And there's a confused look in some people's faces. And I'm looking at the confused looks. I'm thinking, hmm. And then I got my phone out. No, no, I didn't have it. I had my pocket mushaf. Pocket, when there was no phones in those days. I took out my phone and I found that what I had done is that I had given him the entire wrong place. <laughs> I think we were in Surat Ali Imran and I think I gave him the same words but in Surah Jumu'ah or something like that. Like at least 10, 20 uh, 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 surahs or chapters in between. 
And obviously my guy had lost completely his whole, you know, composure, but he picked up on what I said to him and he finished it off entirely. And people were super confused. I was confused. And here's the great thing about being a hero from the fourth line. Man's chipped straight away. You know I mean? <laughs> Nobody knew anything. And that was it. I guess someone was going to stand up and say, yeah, sorry, Yara, whatever. Well, no. You know what I mean? His problem. You should have said, Allah, what? What is it? <laughs> so, so there you go. So, um, uh, let me just finish this off, okay? Uh, so, the only times it should occur is if it's in a fatiha, if there's a change of meaning, if the person, is, if, the, if the position is jumped entirely, okay? Or if the imam requests it. Other than that, it's down to maslaha. Other than that, it's down to if there's a need. If you see a need because the, the meaning is, is uh, or the people, for example, a large gathering, and you see that now it's going to cause fitna, or a small gathering that are students of knowledge that should know better, so let's get the imam to correct it properly. And you've got to make a judgment call at that time. And that judgment call is entirely based upon the maslaha, the benefit, the situation at hand. And remember a golden rule, dar'ul mafasid comes before jalbul masalih. Dar'ul mafasid, to stop an evil, is always given priority to Jalbal Masalih, yani to bring benefits. So if a person makes a mistake, you've got to make a judgment call. If I correct this person, is it like in a Hanafi mosque, man, you know, speak, speaks out, never happened in his history, someone's speaking the prayer, you know, they'll have a heart attack, you're going to give it called Wahhabi, blah, 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 and everything's going to break down. Then you know what? You probably say, you know what? We'll just let the Imam carry on as it is, because to create, to achieve that, and then create a bigger evil is not worth it. And so that would be an example of doing it. So, um, so I'm saying that most of the time People don't yani, overrate yourself Okay Unless Allah says For example Or For example Which is said sometimes And it's a complete yani, haram And wrong mistake If the imam says that Then that's what should be corrected And I think that's what we'll cover for today That's enough for that uh, a waste, and then we'll do some general questions. Yeah. And by the way, folks, in LP uh, Sunnah and tradition, even though I'm a rock and even though it's banned, but we have lots of goodies. Bismillah, mashaAllah, from all of the folks yani, who have bought all kinds of stuff. And I can see some serious yani, mal here, right? Okay. Although I think I'll push out the Magritte's family circle to you lot, Yanni. Yeah. <laughs> like Yanni, chupo biscuits, that is. Yeah. What the hell was that? Okay. And I think that the the, the borders chocolate Yanni yeah, will just go sit right there. Okay. <laughs> And the Belgian chocolate Yule logs, whatever. I never was a, a log kind of guy. Rehan, yeah, you sit there, Rehan. Oh, <laughs> Lala jumped in there. Okay, so this is uh, assorted lint, because that can stay right here as well, okay? And, uh, but uh, Lala, uh, send, send, send these uh, things out. Right, always. So, so there's a Come where you put your hand in the press. Yeah. Guys, Auntie. What would you have to do after the press? Whoa, 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 guys, it's getting out of control here. What's happening? Just, yeah, thing is, start this. We got, by the way, we got some tea and everything. We'll, we'll cut the log up afterwards. Don't get jealous online, okay? Don't hate. We got some tea and drinks and everything as well, okay? Guys at the back here, all right, watch this, all right? There we go. At the back there, guys. There we go. Uh, good catch. All right. And we'll have. One packet here, guys. There we go. And there you go, kids. 
So, so the, the question about whether the prayer is valid and the Imam's prayer is fine, absolutely no problem. Especially because a surah is something which is not from the pillars of the prayer, neither from its obligations. So pausing, making mistakes, you know, uh, there's a common idea out there. Quiet guys, quiet. There's a common idea out there that if a person, for example, makes a mistake in their surah, they've got to do sajda sem. Yeah, you heard that, haven't you? And there is no sajda sem. There is no prostration for forgetfulness because it's not a obligatory, an obligatory aspect of the prayer. Does that make sense? Yeah? The issue of the pause, I mean, I'm talking about the pause. You know the pause as well. The pause here is part of a process. It's not an unnatural pause. Yeah, because that is not meant to have a pause. You're still trying to naturally work out. Like what I mean, what I mean is that when a person forgets, everybody knows the person's forgotten, part of the forgetful process, people are waiting for them to actually correct it. So no, there is no, there's no impact upon the prayer. And there's a consensus on that point as well, which means that our explanation is correct. Yeah. 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 And he spoke after Salaam. Is that not, and then he says the Salaam, is that sufficient even though he's spoken between? Yeah, so the question is being asked about which is a separate subject but we're going to come to that in a lot of detail but, in, but quickly to answer your question in actual fact the is happening because there is meant to be talking and discussion and whatever the time where you repeat the prayer, all of it is when you have left that prayer moment completely, i.e. you've gone home or you've gone 20 minutes right but if you are in the same place had a chat whatever whatnot that's all you need to do they would follow the imam in the sajda sahu no no they wouldn't do a fifth they wouldn't know that what the extra has been done how would they know yeah, but how would they know? They wouldn't know. No, no, they wouldn't know there'd be five because they, for example, after you were late, you came in, the imam, after you You're late? I was late, so I missed the, I missed the first rakat. So how do you know it's five? Because on the second time you sat down, and then some people... Well, that depends on where the first, the, the extra rakat was added. Um, yes. So the question is, the question is, what is my opinion of a sadal? A sadal is where a person prays with their hands at the side and is practiced by the Maliki school. First of all, there's no space for my opinion when it comes to the madhahib, yani like that. Let me just state that. But let's explain this position. It is an acceptable way of praying. It is, it is an acceptable way of praying. The Sunnah, according to the vast majority of scholars, and actually a number of what are called the Muhaqqiqeen in the Maliki Madhab, such as Imam Ibn Abdul Bar, okay, 
because their major imam actually they considered the sunnah to be the right hand over the left hand however there is also not a consensus but the vast majority of scholars also accept that the positioning of the hands upon the body is also a sunnah meaning that it's not obligatory to have the hands on the body whether here or there so 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 what i mean by that is that even in the obligatory prayer or the sunnah prayer the positioning of the hands was not something which was obligated by the Prophet So therefore we are very flexible on the issue of the hands at the side. And personally speaking, I have no problem with the hands praying at the sides. I do believe that that's something that the Prophet did at some point, that he must have been observed because a number of companions noted it, even though it's a tiny minority. Sorry? Well, it was the more correct way to say is that it was the Tabi'een of Medina that carried it on. But the actual companions that are narrated praying Vasadil are either non existent or very few, authentically. But still, that's not so important because the action of Ahl Medina is something which is powerful and it's quite okay for a person to throw their hands to the side. However, the Sunnah is right over left, as by the way, Imam Malik himself narrates in Muwatta. But he himself felt that the action of the people is more important or more stronger than this single hadith. All right. Any other questions? Yeah. Yeah. To give salam, I read Sheikh Yeah. There are some scholars that consider the Durud Sharif or Salawat Ibrahimi, Allahumma Salli Ala Muhammad, to not be from the. Uh, integral parts of the prayer when we come to it in our book because we're not there in terms of the obligatory aspects we disagree the majority of the scholars consider it to be an obligation no no there's no i've heard of it yes there are some scholars that say that there is no evidence after two rakah to stand up straight away after like everybody does, everybody stands up, right? And Sheikh Al-Albani, or one of his positions, alright, is that a person needs to go towards the end, Allah Muhammad, whatever, and then stand up. And he has an argument. But the majority of the scholars say that no, the Sunnah is to stand up then, and then only do the Durud Sharif in the last rakah. Allah knows best. Uh, let's just do online. Uh, Hamza uh, uh, Ijlal says, the reality of kohul is it sunnah yes it is yes it is okay can one correct the imam whilst not praying with them now that's what we're going to cover next week inshallah hamza okay very good question when imam when an imam uh uh comes across verses of the hellfire and jannah and seeks refuge uh do they do they do it so the congregation hear them as well Yes, they do. They say it out loud and it's a habit and people should get used to it as well. You know, that's the difference between doing things according to the sunnah and those which have no basis. So, for example, we know authentically that the Prophet ﷺ used to say, Allahumma inni as'alukul jannah. Allahumma inni a'udhvika min al-nar. Yeah? In the prayer. And you don't see many people doing that. However, you see every, not every, but so many people when they hear the imam recite, what's the end of the qiyamah? How's it? And everybody goes, Bala, isn't it? Or something like that. Yes? 
Yeah? And I think at the end of what Tina was Zaytun, yeah? Yeah? At the end of what's the end of what Tina was Zaytun? Alayhi Allahu bi ahkamil hakimin. Isn't Allah ahkamul hakimin? And you see the people say, behind, bala, wa ana ala shahidin. Now, this is well known, the hadith is weak, but the masses are like connected to it and they all say it. Whereas the ones which are authentically narrated, which is to say, astaghfirullah or something like that in a salah quietly, people are kind of not very big on that. So it's an interesting corollary there. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's got to be said that, and I have to say I'm very uh, sympathetic to this argument, that when it comes to movement, speaking, loudness, blah, 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 I'm not very comfortable with any of this in the obligatory prayer. The obligatory prayer, you've got to kind of imagine it to be on super lockdown. Minimal movement statements, this, that, whatever. And to maximize that in your individual sunnah prayer, and the medium is in a congregational sunnah prayer or anything else. So you turn all of this stuff up hardcore when you're praying nafal by yourself. The stafrullahs, the movements, the this, the that, you know? In the obligatory, like making dua in English, for example, in sajda, you know, really getting funky, really doing things, praying, yani, you know, trying different things out, praying at home for no reason, sitting down, yeah? No reason, uh, and uh, doing it in the car, on a train, you're always doing and reviving these kind of funky things, which are all the sunnah narrated in these kind of prayers. Whereas on this side, in the obligatory prayer, you treat it as the serious thing that it is. The Prophet ﷺ, you know, very little movement, very little statement, very little. And then you kind of have a balance in the congregational sunnah prayer. So that's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. Should you pray that? No, there's no, there's no reason to do that. If you're praying behind a Maliki Imam whose hands are at the side, or if you're praying behind a Hanafi Imam who doesn't raise his hands at uh, the going for Ruku'ah, or you're praying behind a Shafi Imam who does raise his hands in Ruku'ah, this does not mean that you have to do that. The hadith that, sta that states that Imam has been placed to be followed does not mean in his external actions, but it means in the structure of the, the essential structure of the prayer. Yeah? Any more questions on any uh, issues? We can be off the subject as well. What time was our time right now? 10.04. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Yes. Can we? It is the sunnah to make dua in sujood. What do you mean in English, do you mean? Or you mean in any language? So first of all, the Prophet ﷺ commanded us, but didn't make it obligatory, to make dua in sajda and he said that you are closest to your Lord whilst you're in sajda so the whole point of sajda is to open up and make dua personally speaking I prefer that a person only does Arabic in the obligatory prayer however in the sunnah no problem for them to use Urdu or English or whatever in sajda and even in the obligatory if they do not know any even if they don't know any Arabic and they're like desperate then the dua is more important and they can say it in English because a sajda without dua is just, it's like it's like such a waste such a waste of opportunity and Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had so much dua that he would uh, make in the uh, uh, sajda in addition to tasbih so the Quranic dua 
the majority of scholars say that you shouldn't say the Quran in it, but change it. So instead of saying Rabbana atina fi dunya, you say Allahumma atina fi dunya. Okay, so you change it a little bit. But also I have to say that I'm sympathetic to the opinion that a person who does say Rabbana atina fi dunya because of dua, that's allowed because his intention is not to recite Quran in the sajda. Remember the hadith forbids reciting the Quran in sajda. That's what's prohibited. That's why some of the scholars said you can't say Rabbana atina fi dunya. The truth is, is that no one intends to recite the Quran in sajda when they make that dua. They're using Rabbana atina purely for the for their for their dua, because actually the ayah says wa minhum. and then there are some that say Rabbana atina. The ayah is more than that. So if a person says Rabbana atina, I think that's okay. I think there's space for that. But if he changes the meaning a little bit by saying Allahumma atina fi dunya. Allahumma la tuzakkulubana, not Rabbana la tuzakkulubana, changes it a little bit. That's safer. Safer, yes. The, the reward of praying in, in a masjid, no, it doesn't. The question is, is that does the reward yani, of 27 times refer to a masjid or any congregation? The answer is no, it doesn't. It's any congregation. Someone give me a quick yani, summary of what's the good one here? Oh, this is great. No, no, this one is the best one. This is for my wife's special one. There you go. There you go. Look, there you go. There you go. Oh, what a cut. Auntie Nasir smashed it. I sent my wife the best one. I think I'm going to give her another good one as well. This is the extra dark chocolate one. There you go. Well done. Ah. Yeah, that's it. What do you mean the bad one? Everybody loves dark chocolate. There you go, honey. Catch what? Okay, where's the kids gone? Guys, can you wake up? Okay, no disclaimers. Anyone's eye comes out? Yeah, not my fault. Okay. All right, watch me closely. All right, there we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. And there we go. Okay. Yes, question. Yes, sure. There was a, a video I saw with a brother who was reciting Quran with his daughter. Yep. But he purposely um, recited incorrectly. Okay. Can you do that? So that I don't or... yeah, I don't think this can be done in the prayer. It should be done in a mock prayer. But not he was just sitting down. In a, on a oh, so he wasn't praying. He's no, teaching no, no, he's teaching he was teaching. Oh, yeah, I think there's space for that. Uh, if, 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 the, if the meaning is not changing the meaning of the verse in a significant, holistic way. Right. If that makes sense. Because that could be problematic. You get what I'm saying? Yeah? Yes, bro. Yeah. Is isn't allowed because it's interest in the contract. Yeah. Are you clear with that? Like a debit card is okay provided you are sure you're never gonna. That is an opinion. Yeah. What's the difference? I don't understand. If, for example, it's a card. <laughs> <laughs> the difference between allowing Musab. There we go, bro. If that's why you don't play cricket, isn't it, Musab? Yeah. If, for example, you're sure, you keep me sure on both. You say you're coming in a million pound a month, and you know you're not going to pay for the card. I don't understand the difference between the two. I don't allow either, personally, so there's no difference for me. 
I don't allow either. And if, the, if, if it is allowed, where's the kids gone, man? Who's, who wants the chocolate? Which kids have missed out? There we go. Oh, Naeem, sorry about that, bro. That was well helped. There's a... You, are you a kid? I've always said you're a kid, right? But, but to be honest... Yeah, you're not a kid, Omar, but you know what? You get one. Oh, that's one of the behind you. Where's the kids who've not got one? There you go, money. Raw, what a catch. There we go. And... Hello. There we go. There's a kid's one. There we go. All right, we're out. Oh, sugar, did I just give my one out? <laughs> No, 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 we can't take things back. That's like the thingy. There's a punishment. Yeah, yeah, punishment. Enjoy your two that I gave you, mate. Yes, dark chocolate. Yes. I know you don't bust that whole dark chocolate line with me, bro. By the way, what's this? Oh my goodness. Yeah, by the way, they're getting bored online. Yeah, just hold on. What were the topical issues you're going to discuss here? Sarah, we've been discussing, what more do you want, bro? Okay? No, no, I can't go over... Can you go over such and such and such You know, Islal is a sick guy, bro, you know that? He is a sick guy. Oh, there's some legit mal in here, man. You know when I watch Bro, what do you mean imagine? That's exactly what happens. What do you mean imagine? By the way, guys, if you're seeing a weekly online... This is exactly what it's like. You don't see the boxes or the thingy. This is all it is. It's a disaster. It's a complete disaster. And it's banned from next. It's banned. Uh, yeah, it's banned. But obviously, you're a man of the people. Yeah, looking after the masses. Obviously, got to go to Birmingham. Got to set the straight. Nothing to eat in Birmingham, is it? Right. Oh, land, yeah. The sajda who done after the prayer is completed, but you are still in your place of prayer to confirm is there just a single sajda done without taslim? No, it's not single, it's two. It is two sajdas that are done. Listen, Aisha, this is too, too, it's too big. Too big, you can't just do that, okay? Alright? And I'm looking forward to, to protect this house as well. And uh, I think that's enough. Alright, guys, Zakmulakhat, next week in Birmingham online. Anybody who knows people in Birmingham, tell them to come down. Make sure they bring proper chocolate. Cadbury's is closed. All right. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdi kashadu wa la ilaha illa anta astaghfirullahu wa atubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Not Manchester next week. Birmingham. I'll save your journey. Where am I then?